0: That very night, I remember Pastor Alvin, he was preaching a sermon called, The Blood That Speaks For Me. I remember listening to this message and it felt like everyone else in the room was gone, vanished. It was like just me sitting there. There has got to be about 500 people in that room. And as he finished at the end, I remember I'd never seen a worship team before, but I just remember crying a river as, what felt like a love blanket fell on my brokenness. And I remember Pastor Alvin really intently looking at me and I was at the back. I was thinking, oh no, please don't call me to the front. And he just said, daughter. And I just wept and wept and wept and this pastor had his hand on my head. One of the first things out of his mouth was, did you know that he's a father to the fatherless? And that pierced my heart. Hi, so I'm Carrie Martin, and I'm from South London, and we're currently in Southwest London, um, United Kingdom.
1: And Carrie, what is your testimony of Jesus? What has Jesus done in your life?
0: So, I was born into a one parent family um, in a very traumatic time for my family. My family had just uh, gone through a trauma where my grandfather had committed suicide. And this was just two months before I was born. So, it was an extremely dark and lonely time for my family. And from what they tell me, I was a gift. Um, that they could pour into. So even though I was small and unaware of these things, I know that I was traumatized from the womb because my mom was still pregnant with me when she discovered that her father had taken his life. So it was a time of great tragedy and darkness for my family. I I learned that in my sort of later teenage years. And this was a real eye-opener for me because being an only child and only having one parent, I then saw the depression and the struggles that my mom would go through because of her trauma that was undealt with. And though she didn't medicate with drugs or anything like that, she was extremely angry And though she loved me with all of her heart, I could see such an anger resting on my mother. And I, I often wondered why there was no dad around. And until this very day, I've never had a question answered about who my biological father is. I've just always been told not to ask. And so that was really rough growing up. Uh, seeing my friends at school with their two parents and it just made me wonder but I I just I just had like an indwelling feeling that it was not a subject that I was to touch on so I felt extremely orphan spirited I would say from a young age not having any siblings my mom was extremely protective over me to the point where it was a problem I was Growing up, I was not allowed to go outside, play out with friends. I wasn't allowed to, as a teenager, go to friends' houses. And that was extremely isolating for me. I would often read and music became such a a release for me in those times. Then throughout my teenage years, I really began to gravitate towards the rap music scene and this in in. You know, in a few years from me listening to sort of Tupac and Biggie Smalls, I was smoking weed with friends, bunking off a of school. And this led me down a road where I felt so different from everybody else. It was a good difference, but it wasn't one that I was ready to explore in my teen years. So that led me sort of to smoking weed. And at the age of 17, I was in clubs and I realised that I had a gift for writing music, rap lyrics, and this became my identity because I felt like there was no identity. When you don't have two parents, you're searching for your identity. Where do I come from? Why do I feel this way? Why do I look this way? That really caused uh, an identity crisis. So. To appease that, to try to fill the void, I then went down to harder drugs. And by the age of 18, I was taking cocaine at the weekend, going out to clubs with my cousins. And I felt like because it was glamorous and, you know, portrayed as glamorous on music videos, I then thought, okay, well, I can do this rap stuff. I can do it. And because my mum used to not let me out anywhere, I'd lock myself in and just write lyrics. And I really felt like, wow, When I, once I learned them and I would, you know, wrap them to other people, to see people's reaction of my gift gave me this super confidence. Mix that with alcohol and drugs. I was like, this is the life that I need to pursue. But the more I went in, the more I felt like the odd one out because it wasn't, as I thought it was and the people that I met they were in some dark 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 um they had some dark stuff going on you know they would dabble with harder drugs or guns or you know they'd be selling drugs and then I realized that this father wound that I had would lead me into a desire for love in all the wrong places And I went down a path of promiscuity, which I even, I knew that that life wasn't meant for me, but it was just me wanting to fill the void of where my father should have been. So for years from the age of, I would say 17 to 25, I was literally in clubs getting paid to be in there now because I then recorded songs. I had a rap name of Entice. And when I think about that name now, you know, I cringe. But I wanted to make, kind of create an atmosphere where all eyes were on me. But then when all eyes were on me, I still felt like I was just totally alone in a room. I had this like a real ache in my heart like a giant sized hole every drug on this earth i tried apart from heroin and it there was a time when i got so high i got sober because i was i was just completely you know and then depression set in and then i felt suicidal and i could see that this this kind of cycle of depression in my family trying to come on me to the point where I felt like, why on earth am I here? If life is this painful, my mom didn't have a a lot of money, we were gonna lose our home. So then I got into small crimes with the guys from the music scene that I was kind of rolling along with. A lot of those were rappers. Some of it was pretty serious, you know. We were at one point printing fake notes and that's money fraud. And I was thinking like, wow, how did I get here? But the desperation to try to keep my mum afloat or to just help her out with the rent we were gonna get evicted. It was like everywhere I turned, there was no break. There was never a breakthrough. It was always hardship and sadness. And at the age of 21, my mom made an attempt on her own life. And she shut herself in my room and barricaded herself in with the wardrobes and the drawers. And I, I remember being in a, a supermarket at the time and I got this sudden feeling of something is very wrong at home. So I dropped everything and I ran back home, where I, my aunt was there, and I said, "You know, where's Mum?" And she said, "Oh, she's just gone to bed. It's the middle of the afternoon." And when I went there, I realised that the door was locked, and she had taken every single pill in the house. But it didn't, it didn't do anything. Thankfully, and she was taken away to be sectioned. Uh, at the same time, the guy that I was dating had a drug-induced psychosis. And he was sectioned two days later that was on my 21st birthday so i spent my 21st birthday in my mom's apartment and then the lights went out because we didn't pay the bill and then the, the the gas ran out so we didn't have any heating and my birthday's in january so that 21st birthday i spent alone in a dark cold apartment by myself and That was probably one of the the occasions where I thought to myself, what is the point of this life? No wonder my grandfather did what he did. I was that rock bottom and I was so, there was no friends that were really, you know, close enough to walk me through. It was just, I'm gonna get high. I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna get some Jack Daniels. I'm gonna go get some Coke. And I couldn't believe where I'd ended up at 21, 22, 23. I couldn't believe that this was my life at that point. I was literally rock bottom.
1: And at this point, Carrie, are you hearing anything about God? Is anybody telling you about, like, what are your thoughts about God throughout this mess? Or were you just kind of living and not even really thinking about uh, Jesus and Christianity and all of that stuff? Mm
0: -hmm. It's funny, well, I used to always find myself putting God in my rap lyrics because I was like, there's got to be a heaven above where this this love that is, the desire to love people, where does it come from? Because I knew that I didn't wanna just be in someone else's bed, you know, one month to the next. I hated that. That is not what I was looking for. I just wanted to love people and to be loved. So I often would write about heaven and God in my lyrics, and that would, this is going to sound really disrespectful and strange, but I always used to speak about God to people when I was high. That would be the time when I would do it. I'd be bold enough to say, you know, there is God, even though I didn't know him as the Lord or I hadn't been saved yeah. at that point.
1: So how did the, you, you mentioned that you basically had started to hit that rock? that rock bottom or mm-hmm. uh, things begin to get worse so take us through that story and then how the Lord also begin to kind of take you out of that uh, rock bottom
0: yes so I, I I'd been dating a, a gangster kind of guy at this time you know he kind of almost came in as a knight in shining armor but this was about to go deeply wrong and I'd found out that he'd had a child with somebody else whilst being with me So this betrayal was just one of a hundred that I'd walked through, but that really took me because my mom had left London at that point after she would come out of the the mental uh, institution. She then left and then my grandmother passed away. And after that, after my grandmother passing away because she was so close to me, I didn't have a reason to live. So I was hell bent on just getting high till I die that was where I was at. On one trip to the local liquor store, I was like, I've got some weed at home. I've got some ecstasy pills. I'm just going to take it and just play some music. And hopefully I might close my eyes and not come back. So on this trip to the store, I was literally like, okay, this is it. This is it. And I was kind of, I just knew in my heart to just ask the Lord's forgiveness. And as I'm walking down the street thinking about God and thinking about getting high, I was approached by this complete stranger who crossed over the road to make a beeline for me. And I thought, oh, she must be lost. You know, she must need directions. And she came up to me and she said, with the softest voice I've ever heard, excuse me, miss but I just wanted to tell you something today. And I was like, okay, this this lady's crazy. She's going to ask me for some money. Uh, She said, did you know that Jesus knows where you are and he loves you? And just to hear those words, Jesus knows where I am. Because I didn't know where I was. I was like, where am I? You know, when you just don't know where you're going, where you are, what's happening, and you're just like, help. And she said, and he died for your sins and your crimes. And when she said that, crimes, I was thinking, boy, she see me doing some things I shouldn't have been doing because it felt like the girl was speaking my life. So she said, would you mind if I just prayed for you? And I was like, listen, lady, I'll take anything. You know, I will take it. You know, and I was thinking, she doesn't know I'm on my way to the off license to buy some Jack Daniels. And the shame, it was like I was being eaten alive by shame because I said to her, the first thing that came out my mouth was, if Jesus knew where I was, he wouldn't love me. And she said, oh, she more than knows where you are. And he loves you. He died for you. When she said that, it was like the heavens opened. And I said, why would Jesus die for me? I said, you know, I said, he'd probably die for you. Because she looked all cleaned up and wonderful, like saintly. I said, but he wouldn't die for me. I'm too far gone for that. I said, the church would probably burn down if I walked in it. Honestly, that's how I felt like I always had a good heart. But I knew that my my sins were too many. You know they were they were too high they were they were too too big for that kind of grace so i said you can pray for me please pray for me and so when she started praying i could feel it was like the 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 lord's eye was looking at me from the sky that's the, the only way in love it was like a love cloud And I just began to weep in the street and I was thinking, I'm, I'm crying in the street. I'm on my way to get the Jack Daniels. And here I am with this angel praying for me. And so after she left, you know, after she stopped, sorry, she said, Oh, can I just take your number? And I was thinking, Oh, here we go. This is, this is where, this is where the, the payment comes in because nobody gives you anything like that for free. So I was like, do you need, are you going to ask me to donate to your church? She was like, no, I was merely going to invite you to church. And I was, and that was it. The fear. I was thinking, I can't go to church. I said, I'm, I'm too dirty for that. What, why would I want to go to a church building where everyone is pure? She just said, look, the church is a place for the broken and for the spiritually lost. But to me, that there was still too far of a gap. I was thinking, no, you just don't know what I've done. I've only told you bits and pieces. But anyway, it was her very graceful demeanor that kept me wanting to talk. Uh, And so I gave her my number and I still made a beeline to the liquor store at that point where I did get extremely drunk and ended up breaking a mirror and cutting my arm with pieces of the mirror because it was like there was two roads, but I wasn't ready to walk down that road. It felt like it wasn't instant enough for me. I needed an instant fix. This stronghold that was, I'd got a hold of me, wasn't ready to give up. And I wasn't ready to surrender at that point. So I I got very, very, I think I ended up in A&E that night because I was so, I think I had alcohol poisoning at some point, and I knew that this is going to get worse. It was like God was pushing me into a corner, but a corner of, okay, I'm telling you to come my way. Just let go, but I couldn't.
1: Carrie, take us through that process, right, of of how did God bring you to that surrender, to that surrender moment where you were able to uh, completely let go and allow him to do the work that he needed to do. How did that happen? How can, you know, how did we get to where you're at now?
0: So I, an entire year went by from that moment. Um, I ended up blocking her number. I'm very ashamed to say that now, but I ended up blocking her number because she would relentlessly call me every Sunday. And I thought, oh, here we go. I can't go to the church. I am not ready. So I ended up changing my number and things got worse. I was knee deep in debt. I had no job. So I remember one pivotal moment was when I got on my knees in my bedroom and there was hardly anything left in the house. You know, I'd have people over all the time. There was parties going on, everything was trashed. But I remember one moment I was in the, the bedroom and I said, okay, Jesus, if you're real, then apparently you hear my prayer. Um, So please, would you, I'm going to be specific, Lord, please, would you get me a job working with children with disabilities? I believe I can be used in that area. And I wanted to feel used. I wanted to feel valuable. So I believe that if he's Jesus and he hears me, then that will be the road that he'll take me down. And it's it's just so surreal now when I look back that, Two weeks later, after, after that prayer, I got a call from an agency that said to me, oh, hi, Carrie, um, we know you don't have any experience, uh, but would you like to work in an autistic children's school? And I said, where did you get my number from? And there was just a silence. And I said, excuse me, where did you get my number from? And the person wouldn't answer me. So I thought, how strange. I didn't sign up for any agency. I didn't look for any work because I wanted this God to show me that he was personal, that he could hear me. So that's why I purposely didn't. So till this day I don't know where they got my number from. So I said, okay, where's the school? And they said, it's about five minutes from your location. You're in you're in SE 15, right? And I said, Yeah, 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 I am. And it was literally five minute walk from my location. So I went there very, you know, apprehensively thinking someone's playing a prank. But I hadn't told anyone about this prayer. And when I got there, they said to me, oh, hi, Carrie, we're so sorry, but we don't have a, any kids for you to work with today. And I was like, so why am I here? They said, well, we just wanted to get to know you and um, ask if you would, wouldn't mind cleaning out the library. And I was like, okay, I'm a cleaner, you know? <laughs> I was so prideful then. I was like, I'm not cleaning out the library. Just, I'm not cleaning out the library. So anyway, I humbled myself and I said, yes, I will go. So I went up there to the library and I just remember when I, when I got up to this library, it was like a piece. I was like, oh, this, this 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 is good. And as I opened the door to the library, the girl that told me about Jesus one year ago from the street was standing in it. And I I get goosebumps even now. I just burst into tears. And so did she, because the first words out of her mouth was, I prayed I would see you again. And here you are. And her name was Pearl and she was a Pearl. And she said, Carrie, God's cornered you. Like he literally has you in a library. You can't get out. Like you've got to spend eight hours here with me. And I said, well, wow. And I just wept. And she said, you know, we've got a a visiting preacher today. And it was a Wednesday night at at church and he's from America. And as soon as she said America, I was like, my ears pricked up because I've always loved America. And she said, uh, You want to come? you want to see it? It's very low key. You can dress down. it's not, you know. And I said, I'm coming. I'm coming. Because I wasn't given an opportunity. The Lord had literally cornered me in this library. And um, yeah, that was the beginning of how he met with me so personally. Uh, so that night, I went with Pearl to the church. I remember walking in the church thinking, Oh, it's not bad. You know, everyone isn't in white garments and <laughs> with little glowing halos above. There's a couple of people that look like me. And I was like, okay with that. There was a lot of people, young people there. So it was almost like everything was sort of tailor-made to make me like it. There was a dance team and a, you know, some guys did some rap. And I was like, well, this is great. I feel really at home. What? They rap like that in here? I was like, <laughs> it would be forbidden. I just had such a wrong view of what a church would look like especially coming from a family that, of non-believers. That very night, I remember Pastor Alvin, he was preaching a sermon called, The Blood That Speaks For Me. It was speaking about how the love blood of Jesus could speak a better word about who I was once he'd redeemed me. I remember listening to this message and it felt like everyone else in the room was gone, vanished it was like just me sitting there. There has got to be about 500 people in that room. And as he finished at the end, I remember I'd never seen a worship team before, but I just remember crying a river as what felt like a love blanket fell on my brokenness. And any rags, I mean, I was very well-dressed, but I felt like I was in filthy rags when I walked in there because his presence just hit me like, as I say, like a love blanket. That's the only way I can describe it. He covered me. And I remember Pastor Alvin really intently looking at me and I was at the back. I was thinking, oh no, please don't call me to the front. And he just said, daughter. And I was thinking, wow, really haven't heard that from a man before. So that was so personal. He said, you know, in his, his American accent, he said, would you mind stepping forward? I was thinking, oh my, my head couldn't have been more in my knees. You know, I was like, he's he like, yeah, step forward. And as I got to the front, I just fell down because I, it was as if, it's not like I could see Jesus with my eyes, but I could feel his presence. I could feel what I now know to be his presence. It was like a person with no face, but he's just, he's, His warmth was standing right there. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't not fall. You know, I I just had to fall. This reverential fear came upon me and I just wept and wept and wept. And this pastor had his hand on my head and he said, wow, you've been running from God. (laughs) And I was thinking, yes, because I didn't know it was going to be like this, you know. And he said, um, one of the first things out of his mouth was, did you know that he's a father to the fatherless? And that pierced my heart because I was thinking, how does this man know that that's my story? And then I knew that, that my prayer had been heard, that Jesus heard my words, but more than anything, he heard my heart. And he knew that I needed rescuing. And he also said to me, do you know, you're going to sing spiritual songs for the Lord. And I was thinking this man has had a camera on me, you know, because I never knew I, I, that God could inspire a man to speak like that. And I was just undone. And he said, he's got a very special plan for your life. You know, you're going to write poetry. That's another thing that I do. I do now more than ever. He said, you're set apart. He's going to adorn you with grace. That's my middle name. I was just like, I could hear this man's voice, but I knew that Jesus was talking to me. And it felt like, as I I went on my knees, it was like a 20 ton weight lifted off my shoulders of all the stuff I'd been carrying, all the stuff I'd been in. And it was like, he said, your shame is no more, you know, he washed it. It was the blood that speaks for me. It literally spoke for me that day. And I was never the same again.
1: Grace, as you as you begin to do this walk with Jesus, you know, spending all this time by yourself, mm-hmm. feeling like you are by yourself, and now you get to walk with God, how do you begin to transform your life? How do you begin to even heal those wounds from the past and mm-hmm. things that you believed? Uh, about yourself before. How, how did he do that? Can you just tell us a little bit about your life after encountering the presence of Jesus? Yes,
0: immediately I was, I was bought a Bible and that is where the different layers of healing would come through reading it every day. One of the things that I was taught from a very early rebirth, born again, was prayer and read your word. Let it be like breathing to you now because you're not just a fleshly being, you're a spiritual being more than. So I really began to be healed from reading the Bible every day and really hanging out with those who had walked a little bit longer with Jesus. I was so on fire for the Lord. I was so excited about this miracle I then went on a mission trip uh, six months after I gave my life to the Lord, to Jamaica. And so it was like, in the beginning, it was like a tug of war. I had to shut off my friends quickly. I had to stop going to the places quickly for me because it was such a a huge tug of war. Like I was being pulled in two directions. I had to just cut off and isolate.
1: What was their reaction to that as as they're seeing this? dramatic change in
0: your life extreme offense I think they thought that I had been brainwashed how could you want to hang out with us in the clubs and then go to church on a Sunday my family thought I was in a cult so they really reacted quite shocked which is shocking you know one minute I'm smoking weed and I literally I knew to talk to the Lord because he'd spoken so personally to me I knew that communicating even my struggles with him was so important because he'd seen, and I know that he'd seen everything I'd done and he offered me that love. I knew that I could talk to him about anything very quickly into my journey. So I, I, I'd ask him, I said, I can't do, have these habits and walk with you. I knew that. So I'd ask him to just, you know, give me a pain or something every time I tried to smoke and he did exactly that. I'd get a pain in my forehead every time I smoked. A, tried to smoke a cigarette. And it just dropped off. It literally just dropped off immediately almost. But when I, when I was attempting to go back to the old life, I found that there was no enjoyment in any of those things anymore. So cutting people off, it was extremely scary because you have to kind of relearn how to live. So that was really um, isolating in the first few months. I didn't know if I was coming or going. So having, and and also I'd, I also didn't feel cleaned up enough to hang with the Christian girls who had been saved a lot longer, who'd come from Christian backgrounds. My mom smoked 20 a day, she still does now. So I'd often have smoke on my clothes and they'd say to me, it was almost, um, I found it to be a little bit condemning because I wasn't getting delivered maybe as certain other people were. That is why it's so important to go at the Lord's pace and to just really ask him into your struggles rather than trying to deal with it by yourself.
1: Yeah, so you went on this mission trip and and now he's surrounding you with new people. Tell us a little bit about that, about what he began to do to kind of take you through this walk.
0: He met with me in such a profound way when I got to the Caribbean. I'd always known that I was meant to travel, I just didn't know it would be with such an awesome message. And to share my miracle, it's like the Lord gave me a purpose. Everything that I didn't have before, identity, purpose. But the biggest test was in the Caribbean, they smoke a lot of weed. So I was like, you know, once I could smell, it was like I was smelling it with a new nostrils though. Um, Gracefully, the Lord just said, that's not for you anymore. And I didn't desire it anymore the infilling of my heart had been so satisfying that I knew that those outward things could not satisfy me anymore. So seeing, you know, someone from the UK in Jamaica, I was just flocks of people just gathered around. And I've, I've got such a heart for the homeless. I was literally feeding people on the floor and people were just like, what has happened to your life that you are so lit up by it? And I just told them the truth. I said, if God jesus can save me there's hope for anyone because i felt like i was chief of the sinners and i felt like i was unredeemable so you don't have to be perfect i think the reason why the lord allowed me to go to jamaica within six months is to give me another landmark experience with him i learned to swim in the jamaican ocean it was it was like he carried me I had so many questions. I was alone on a beach with him, talking to him under the stars, you know? And it, it w- he would baptize me with his Holy Spirit very often. And that is where I began to notice that I had a worship gift. And so I used my lyrics to glorify him. And that, that rapper became a singer. I couldn't sing before. I could sing a note when I was in the world. I could only rap what I thought the world wanted to hear. But as soon as I used this voice that he created to glorify him, it's like a gift opened up for him. And it just opened up more and more and more. And before I knew it, I was in the praise and worship team. I was thinking this could be a headline, you know? Club singer to worship team. It was like uh, unimaginable grace that He'd bestowed on me. And being in Jamaica, being able to share my gift with a whole different race of people was amazing. Just so amazing. And then He would constantly meet with me while I was there. Just landmark moments of, you know, being in the the ocean, talking to Jesus, knowing He was right there. Just divine.
1: Now Carrie, how long have you been walking with Jesus today?
0: So it will be 15 years in July.
1: And in these last 15 years, uh, as you look back uh, on this walk with God now, um, what has he done in your life in these last 15 years? If you could just kind of recap and summarize it for us.
0: The word freedom just comes to mind. When the Bible says that he came to set the captives free, I have just seen so much freedom in so many multi-layered Parts of of my life, I've been fortunate to travel the world for him to go on mission trips and outreaches, even locally to feed the homeless. And I think personally, just to fall in love with his word and to realize it's not always to be seen, but even when you're hidden, it's it's that secret place. He's shown me the the beauty of the secret place and. To just be a living testimony for others to see, to live out the life of Jesus, which has been in 15 years, lots of layers, lots of healing, you know, lots of dealing with old traumas and allowing him to come in to places where the room door was locked. You know, it's been inviting him to those many rooms. It's all It can be glamorous to say, oh, I've led worship in these other countries, but what about the worship that you lead in your living room? That's where it began for me, because I knew I could not not worship the God who had come and set me free from those chains of slavery. You know, now today I stand before you free from alcohol, every single drug that you can imagine Jesus has taken that away completely. I don't desire it, I don't struggle with it. Promiscuity, all these things that used to haunt me. He's taken away that shame, you know, and I've been so fortunate to be able to reach others and have a real heart for the desolate and the broken. I've been in prison working with inmates for the last three years in different roles, but the Lord said it's an estimation where you won't be put in there as a minister, but you'll go in undercover. And that's where you'll share my love with those in the darkest, desolate places. And I just thank God for that.
1: Carrie, how is your relationship with your with your parents today?
0: So that's another wonderful testimony. Um in my earlier younger life, my mom seemed to display some racist kind of traits. So I went to the Lord just very early into my salvation and I said, Lord, if you could bring her a man that is loving, kind, gentle, and someone who's black, <laughs> just to see if the Lord would answer me because she needed to be free from this racism. I, I can't stand racism, right? So now today I have a, a black stepdad. Um, my mom, the prayer, was answered in a way that could only have been God. When I tell you I've known God's sense of humor, it wasn't instant. It was about three years later. My mom's favorite football team is a racist football team, and he was the first black player to play for that team. Wow. And they met on Facebook. So I now have a very loving stepfather yeah. who will hopefully come to Christ. But he is, even in his not yet saved ways he displays some characteristics that I've never seen in a man, you know, and he, I'm secure in the fact that not only is my mom very well loved, but there is someone that says, hi, Papa's girl, how are you? And it's like the Lord has has done that. He's brought in, but more than anything, the Lord has shown me that he's been my father all along. And I think knowing that truth has set me free over and over and over again, because I no longer feel orphaned-spirited. I no longer feel that I'm searching for that identity. Everything that I needed for my identity is in Christ.
1: Amen. Carrie, who is Jesus to you?
0: Wow. The the word that comes to me is kinsman-redeemer. My Boaz, I would say, my kinsman-redeemer my prince of peace when i had none my true husband when i was yearning to be married my savior and allowing him to be my lord of everything you know he just he's he's unsearchable yet knowable that is who jesus is to me even when i can't bring into words like he literally is the air that i breathe i can't go a day without communicating to my king
1: Carrie, what's a word of encouragement that you can give to people um, who are currently uh, not walking with the Lord and maybe are uh, questioning Jesus and if this is a real God and, you know, maybe not really fully knowing um, who Jesus is. What's a word of encouragement that you can tell that person that's listening to your testimony right now?
0: I remember when I had some time away from the Lord and I read, I loved you at your darkest. And I felt like I could never come back to him because I was in this prodigal state, far off, you know, and I'd found myself in a worse position than what felt like without knowing him. Because when you don't know God, you just know that you live in a dark world and that you, you've got something missing. But when you've known him and you fall away, I felt like his grace had run out. There were no more chances for me. But he's unmerited grace still located me and so I would say don't give up on God because he'll never give up on you he relentlessly pursued me even when I was I'd chosen to turn my back he wouldn't leave me his word says I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you I can promise you that that is true Because no matter how far I went, and I went real far for a season of two years, there would be signs or words or scriptures or someone somewhere to tell me that he was looking for me again. And his redeeming love could do it again. So you've never fallen too far. As long as you've got breath, there's hope for you. Are
1: you any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now?
0: I would say just be vulnerable with Jesus. There is no part of you that is unredeemable. You could go, you could have gone to the depths of hell and beyond. Just really understand that he's bigger than what you feel. He's bigger than your last sin. He's bigger than your hope deferred because I struggled with that for many many years you know, and he wants to be your true father and he can really set you free. There's nothing that you may have been struggling with something for years on end, and I was, but as long as we run to the arms of our true father, he will always be there to receive you. There's there's no, nothing that can separate you from his love. So just look for him, invite him in, just say a prayer and say, Lord, I don't know how to come back to you or I don't know how
1: to get to you, show me, and he will.